Driscoll always did, but he wasn't Driscoll. The Gurkha kept silent, but pushed up the pole that hung across the road to the cookhouse. Brig shuffled in, still kicking the bucket with the side of his boot, to show himself that he hadn't been doing it because of the Gurkha, but just for nothing. There was a furtive cookhouse private occupied over the tea boiler. Steam was writhing around him, gushing and squeezing from under his armpits as he stirred like a witch with a ladle. His head was indistinct in the cloud, but when he came out, Brig saw that it was the one who never washed. He smiled at Brig with a special smile of army cooks when they are stirring something, the secret smile that says they know there is a dead rat in it. Brig gave him the bucket without a word. He squirted it full of thick tea and Brig returned down the road. Now the slow light was strengthening and flooding the lower sky. There was a dip, a grass ravine by the road, and some mist was crouching in the deepest part. Across it hung a wooden bridge leading to the office blocks and the other buildings on the far bank. At the root of the road were the little mountains that were the roofs of the Chinese village. Lights moved there now. There was scrubby jungle still indistinct to his right, and he could see one of the guards who had been at the reservoir and the water pipeline all night coming down the path with a bucket. Brig didn't look much of a soldier, but nor did many of the others. The legs of his green slacks ballooned at the tuck into his gaiters, forming two long pea-pods. Had he felt the necessity to check the number of his ribs, he could have done so quite easily by counting them through his jacket. The jacket was a different green to his trousers. His black beret hung over the right side of his head like one ear of a spaniel. There were times, in England, when he thought he caught women looking at him, but he was unsure whether it was because he was tall and hungry-looking, or whether they fancied him, or both. Once an eager, fleshy girl at a camp dance had told him he had deep eyes, but although he liked occasionally to think about this, he did not set much store by it because she had gone outside with a fat orderly room clerk. Brig carried his bucket to the armory guardhouse. Some of the tea panicked and jumped over the side, committing suicide in a dank monsoon ditch as he stepped across it. Driscoll, who was sergeant of the guard, came from the door as Brig reached it. He had his towel across his shoulder, but he flicked it off when he saw the tea. Good. I'll stay, he said. He turned back into the guardroom. He picked up his enamel mug from the folded blanket on the bunk. On the mug he had painted the badge of his good regiment, the one he was in before, so that everybody would know it was Driscoll's. With some sergeants of the guard, they could put out the lights at midnight, after the orderly officer had been around, and everyone would get a good night's sleep. Except Sergeant Wellbeloved, who kept everybody awake with his everlasting grind about what the Japs had done to him. And Driscoll. There was no sleeping with Driscoll, either. You had to guard. Driscoll was five-ten or around that, with a firm face, close face hair, and a scar high on his cheekbone which is a good place to have a scar if you've got to have one. His uniform fitted, uniquely in a garrison noted for its baggy shorts. A consignment of garments made by lunatic tailors had predictably found its way to Panglin three months before, and as old stock was exchanged for new, a circus effect was gradually coming about throughout the ranks. But Driscoll's uniform fitted. The sergeant swallowed his tea and blew the steam from his mouth like cigarette smoke. 
Give it to the others, he said. I was going to have a swill, but it's a bit late now. I've got to go and wake the little soldiers. No one at Panglin could play the bugle, and it was the job of the guard sergeant to wake each barrack room. Once, when an infantry regiment was in transit there, waiting to move up from Singapore into Malaya, Ravalli had been sounded by a shining bugler wearing a sash round his chest, red as the morning. Its call was wasted on the permanent Panglin troops because they had roused early and were standing in the warm, damp dawn on the balconies, witnessing the martial novelty. Brig had felt like a real soldier that day. After the others on guard had taken their dippings from the tea bucket, Brig bore it across the parade ground, around the hockey goalposts, and up the sounding stairs to the middle floor of Barrack Block 2. He trod along the concrete balcony, his boots repeating like double.